0: Amen. You all may be seated. I don't know about y'all, but that was pretty good, wasn't it? You know, let's give these guys a hand. I thought they did a really good job this morning. But hey, open up your Bibles, turn on a Bible, but get to John chapter 7 today. John chapter 7. We are working our way through the book of John chapter by chapter. And last week we finished up chapter 6. And today we are in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. Little uh, class participation time, so I need you all to throw out some answers at me. When you view a person, how does that affect you? Your view of a person, how does it affect you? Really? All right, let me put it this way. You're walking down the street, and you just see somebody that just looks like a criminal. You view them, and you're like, how does that affect you? Go to the other side of the street. All right? Now, your view of a person affects you. All right? It affects, can I trust them or not? Do I like them or not? Can I be around them or not? Can I be their friend or not? Am I am I do you understand your view of a person? Okay? And we all do it. You look at somebody and you have an immediate view of them, all right? Whether you like it or not. You view them in a way and, and it affects you in a certain way or not. Well, that's where we're going today in our text in John chapter 7, because John chapter 7 is all about um, Jesus is 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 showing up and, and what people think about him. It's their view. Of Jesus, how do they see him? What do they say about him? What do they think about him? Okay, and and the thing is, it's just not in John chapter seven. There was a time where Jesus was with his disciples, and he asked them a question. Do you remember a question that Jesus asked his disciples? Who do people say about me? What do people say? Who am I? And he wanted them to. And they're like, well, you know, through the grapevine, we're hearing people say, well, you're John the Baptist. Or you're Elijah. Or you're just one of the prophets. And he asked them, well, who do you say I am? And they're like, well, you're the Christ, the Son of God. A lot of different views about who Jesus was in his time. But you want to know something? It's no different today. This week I got on YouTube and I looked up a video of someone in New York City going around and asking various people, Who is Jesus? Very simple question. With a lot of varying answers. So here are some of the answers that people said. Who was Jesus? Just a person. Just another man. A marketing genius. A magician. A religious leader. He was a messenger. Someone who was enlightened. Someone to impart wisdom and make the world a better place. And a lot of people just simply said, I don't know. Out of all the people, one woman... And I bet I bet I I bet there was probably in the video, three-minute video, probably thirty people. One woman said, "He's my Lord and Savior." And here's the thing: your view about Jesus and everyone in here has a view of him affects who you are. It affects what you do. It affects what you think. It affects your view of Jesus, affects everything about you. So today I simply entitled my message, Viewing Jesus. And we're going to look at five ways your view of Jesus affects you. All right? And so let's look at five ways how your view of Jesus affects you. Here's the first one. I would encourage you to take notes, follow along in the Bible. But here's the first um, way that your view of Jesus affects you. My view of Jesus affects my belief in him. My view of Jesus affects my belief in him. So starting there in chapter 7, in verse 1, it says, after this. uh, What does it mean by after this? Well, this is after chapter 6, okay? But in Jesus' time, he didn't have chapter 6. But what happened was, is after this is when Jesus had, he fed the 5,000 With five loaves of of bread and two fish, he did that miraculous miracle. People were following him. And then he starts preaching to them a very stern message about who he was and about the fact that he was the bread of life. And they had to eat his body and drink his blood. And they were like, whoa, wait a minute. And he offended them by what he was saying. And if you remember, at the end of chapter 6, verse 66, it says that the people who were following him walked away. Many of his disciples, pretty much everybody, except the twelve. And the twelve stuck around, but everybody else left. That's what this is out. After this, okay? So after that account, is, this is what's going on. And it says, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, Galilee, if you remember, is northern Israel, all right? You've got Galilee in the north, Judea in the south. And so Jesus usually went back and forth between Galilee... This is where he performed the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000 at the Sea of Galilee. And he's spending time up in northern Israel. And he would go back between northern and southern Israel in his ministry. Now he's spending a lot of time in northern Israel in the region of Galilee. And he said he would not go to Judea, which was southern Israel, because the Jews were seeking seeking to kill him. The Jews were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they were wanting to get rid of Jesus because he was. What was the primary reason? What was the one thing Jesus kept doing that angered the Pharisees? What do you think? That? Doing things on the Sabbath. He's claiming to be God and doing things on the Sabbath, okay? And he was getting the feathers of the Pharisees in an, oh my gosh, you are just, you, you need to die. And so the Pharisees were looking for him because they wanted to kill him. Well, Jesus was in Galilee and he was not going down to Judea. Can I this is a commercial. Okay? This is not even in my notes. It's just popped in my head. This is why, you know, when people's like, "Well, faith is just you just got to jump out and do it." Let me ask you, is, did Jesus have have faith? A lot of faith. But yet you notice he didn't just go down to Judea. I've got faith. I'm just going to go down. No, he stayed in Galilee because he knew people were looking to kill him. And he's like, I'm not going to go down there yet. My time hasn't come, so I'm not going down. I just find that very interesting that people think that faith is you just got to do it. That's not faith. Jesus had faith, but he wasn't going to let just go down there and go, well, you know what? My faith will protect me. No, he stayed in Galilee. He didn't move. Into commercial. Let's get back into the message. Verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Now the feast of booths was also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents, or the Feast of Ingathering. And what this was, this was a yearly celebration that the Jewish people would go to, to Jerusalem, which was in Judea, to celebrate. And, and they, it was an eight-day celebration. The Jews partied, man. It wasn't like a 24. It was an eight-day celebration, an eight-day party in Jerusalem where they celebrated in remembrance of their ancestors dwelling in tents in the wilderness. And, and they remembered that and they celebrated that of what God's faithfulness and God getting through the wilderness and finally into the promised land. And so this is what's going on is this huge celebration in Jerusalem down in Judea. Now here's where we get into the meat of this thing. Look at verse 3. And so his brothers. Now his brothers, this is not the 12 disciples. It wasn't like spiritual brothers. This was his brothers, okay? Now let me say this, there are some people especially maybe you know maybe you 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 grew up Catholic or whatever and this is the Catholics will say that Um, These were brothers from Joseph had, he was married before and had other children. No, negative. Or they will use a very very slight turn of the Greek word that sometimes can mean cousins. And they'll go, well, these were Jesus' cousins. No, these were his blood relatives. Jesus had four brothers. And he had sisters, okay? And, what did, and, and so the Catholics, what they want to do is protect the virginity of, of Mary, that she never had sex in her entire life. That is not the case. She and Joseph consummated their marriage, and they had other children. And so here is his four brothers, all right? And one of those brothers is James. Remember when we preached the book of James. Boom, that's, that's one of Jesus' brothers. And so it says, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the whole world. For not even his brothers believed him. Think about that for a moment. His brothers did not believe him. Did these guys, yes or no, grow up with Jesus? Of course they did. Now, Jesus is the oldest, and then comes everybody else. Now, you can't tell me that was, as they were growing up, and especially in their teen years, Jesus would have acted different. He would have done things differently. Now, we, the Bible is very silent between Jesus' childhood until he starts ministry. We have no, no idea what he did. But you can't tell me he wasn't different. You can't tell me that when he finally did get in the ministry and he's doing these things that his brothers were like, dude, how are you doing that? How did you heal that blind person? How did you raise that dead person? How did you feed the five? How did you do? They don't believe in him. Their view of Jesus is we don't believe you. Their view of Jesus is not you are the son of God. You are the Christ. Their view of Jesus is not, you are God Almighty. Their view of Jesus is, you're our brother, nothing more. And we don't believe you. They had no faith in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you notice a couple things they say, all right. Um, They go, uh, you need to go here, Leave, leave Galilee, and you need to go to Judea. Because that's where the action is going on right now, Jesus. If you really want your ministry to flourish, if you want people to really see you, you want people to believe in you, you've got to go down to Jerusalem. Because everybody went to Jerusalem, so there would have been thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem. And so they're like, if you are who you say you are, show yourself. Prove it. Let people see you. Because if they see what you're doing, they'll believe in you. Prove it so we can see it. Let me ask you, does that sound any different from today? How many people, maybe you have said this, if Jesus is who he says he is, then why don't we see more miracles today? I mean, if he's still God, why aren't we seeing the miracles today? If Jesus is who he says he is, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If he's really God, if he's really who he says he is, why doesn't he eliminate it? If Jesus is who he says he is, then why? I mean, he said he's coming back. Then why are we still at 2,000 years later and he still hasn't come back? Why doesn't he prove himself? You see, Jesus wasn't going to go down to Galilee or down to uh, Judea with his brothers to be the magician. He wasn't going down to prove himself to anybody. He wasn't going down to say, "Oh, well, I better show up and the, I perform a couple of miracles so people can see what I can do." You see, Jesus was not operating according to his brothers. Their belief in Jesus was minimal. Their view of Jesus wasn't one of faith, trust, and belief. Their view of Jesus was not, you are the Son of God. You see, the, the disciples got this. When Jesus, at the end of chapter 6, asked the disciples, are you going to leave too? Peter said, but Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. We believe. And we have come to know you are the The son of God. They got it. Their view of Jesus is you are God. You are the son of God. And it changed who they were. His brothers. That's not what they saw. Their view of Jesus was just nominal. Their view of Jesus was just surface level family stuff. Nothing more. That's it. This is who you are. We don't believe you. Here's the question you and I've got to ask. What view of Jesus do I have? See, my view of Jesus will do everything about how much I believe him. Is my view of Jesus like his brothers? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can really trust Jesus. But here I, Here's how I know, Jesus, if you will um, do this, if I can see you do something, I'll believe you. That's where his brothers were. Jesus, go show people, let them see your works, let them see your, your miracles, then they'll believe you. If my view of Jesus is like that, that's what I'm doing. Jesus, if you will give me this job, I'll believe you. Jesus, if you will heal me in this, I'll believe you we want to see something or we want to jesus we want jesus to prove himself go jesus as his brothers go go show yourself you you prove it if you are who you say you are then go prove it don't we say that well jesus if you really love me like you say you do then do this for me if you really care for me you'll do this And what we want to do is because my view of Jesus isn't in in who he really is, I put a stipulation on it. That's what his brothers did. They put a stipulation on their belief. If you do this, maybe we'll believe you. Maybe they will believe you. Or your view is like the disciples, the 12. Jesus, this is who you are. You are the Son of God. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are God Almighty. You see, when my view of Jesus is, you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords, you are the Messiah, you are my Savior, you are my Lord. Guess what? All this, I believe you. I may not see anything. I may not see my circumstances change. I may not see anything happen, in my, but I believe in you. My belief in Jesus is not dependent upon whether he acts or not. My belief in Jesus is because my view is who he is. That's why Jesus, when after his resurrection, and he appears to the, the disciples, and Thomas had been doubting the entire time, and he comes to Thomas. He says, look at my hands, Thomas. Look at my side, look at who I am. And Thomas is like, Oh, my Lord, my God. And he says, Oh, Thomas, blessed are you, but you know, you get it because you've seen me. And this is the fun, and we're gonna study this when we get to the end of John. And but Jesus says, You believe, Thomas, because you've seen me. But blessed are those who had never seen me yet still believe. You see. How much you believe in Jesus is going to be dependent on your view of Jesus. And if your view of Jesus is like his brother's, your belief is going to be very minimal. But if your view of Jesus is, I know who he is. I know he's God Almighty. I know he's this. I know he's my Savior. I know he's my Lord. I trust him. And I have faith in him. And I believe in him. Your faith, your trust, and your belief is going to be connected to your view of Jesus. Here's the second thing. My view of Jesus affects my trust in his timing. My view of Jesus is going to affect my trust in his timing. Look at now verse 6. And Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Now, Galilee to Judea is probably about 80 miles, so a couple days' walk. And, and so here's the, his brothers goading him. Come on, let's go. You need to come with us right now. We're leaving, man. We don't care. We're, this is our time. We're going down. We're going to go to the feast. You need to come. You need to come with us. You need to come and let people see you. You need to come and prove yourself. And and it's right now. And Jesus is like, um, nope. You guys go ahead. My time's not ready yet. Because if you notice in verse 6, look at what he says. He says, He says, my time is not yet come, but your time is always here. You see, what Jesus is doing, he is contrasting between two timetables. He's contrasting between two time frames. He's contrasting between human time and godly time. He's contrasting between um, their time, what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, and God's timing. And he's like... You guys operate whenever you want. You guys do what you want, when you want, how you want, and you don't ever think of God. Go ahead. Leave now. But me, I operate in a different timetable. I'm connected to the Father, and that's when I, can, I, I go and do and act when he wants me to. I'm connected to his timetable. And so Jesus is saying... How often do we operate in our time? We do what we want, how we want, when we want. Or do we operate in God's timing? Now here's an interesting verse. i got to show you something. Verse 8. Jesus says, he goes, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time is not fully come. Does anyone have a version that says... He says, you go up to the feast. I am not yet going to the feast. Raise your hand if you have that version. Okay. Raise your hand if you do not have the word yet in there. Okay. Mix it half and half. Now, why is that? Why do, like, my version, it does not have the word yet in there, but other versions do? you got to go back to the manuscripts. All right? Our English Bible is translated from Greek manuscripts. Okay? Written, written about anywhere between 50 and 70, 100 years after Christ. And so these Greek manuscripts are what translates into English. And so this verse, when they translate it, some manuscripts have the word yet, some manuscripts don't. Now why some of them don't, some of them do, I can't begin to tell you. But some of them do have the word yet, some of them the word don't or some of the manuscripts don't have it. Me, I believe the word yet should be in every Bible. And here's why. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned. So, we know in this if you were to read the rest of this text, Jesus does end up going to the festival, to the feast. But he tells his his brothers, "You go. I am not going to the feast." But then he ends up going. So if without the word yet, it makes it sound like he is lying and deceiving his brothers. I'm not going, but then he ends up going. So he lied and he deceived his brothers. All in favor for that? No. Another thing is Jewish men were all required by the Mosaic law to attend these kind of feasts. Passover, this one, any kind of feast, any kind of celebration, a Jewish man had to go. It wasn't an option. And if you didn't go, you were breaking the law. Breaking the law is sin. All in favor of that? Oh, you want No, I'm like, no. He's he, Okay. He's not sinning. All in favor of Jesus, not sinning. Okay? So... I believe the word yet should be in every Bible. Because what the word yet does is when Jesus says, you go to the feast, I am not yet going. What it does is that word yet indicates this. You go to the feast, I'm not going according to your timetable. Because they're trying to get him to go. They're sitting there going, you need to go. Come with us right now. You need to go. Let's go to the feast. And Jesus is like, no, your time is already. You're gonna operate in your timetable. I'm not operating according to your timetable. I'm operating and going when God wants me to go. So you go, I'm staying here. And basically, he's like, when God tells me it's time to go, I will go. Obviously, a few days later, because remember, it's an eight day celebration. So the disciples probably left a couple days prior to the feast starting. Jesus probably started into day one or day two and then walked down to, to, to Jerusalem. And he probably got to the festival about midway. But what this tells us, what this shows us is this. Is Jesus is trying to indicate to us that there is human time and God's time. There is earthly time an eternal time. And my view of Jesus affects what timetable I sit in. Simply this. If my view of Jesus is just hey, he's my Sunday morning I go to church worship Jesus only time Jesus person in my life, but every other time Jesus is just kind of like a thought in my if he's not really impacting my life, then guess how I'm going to live my life according to my timetable. I will do what I want when I want, buy what I want when I want, act how I want when I want, go where I want when I want. It's all about me. It's about my timetable. And what we never do is when I'm operating in my timetable, on my timeline, guess what I'm never doing? I'm never hitting the pause button and going, God, when do you want me to do this? When do you want me to have this? Let me ask you, have you ever bought a car and never prayed over it? You just, like, you just saw it and you just bought it that quick? You never took the time to go, God, should I buy that car now? You ever bought something major without ever praying over it and pausing for a moment? You know what that's called? That's called back in the book of Genesis, birthing an Ishmael. That's when Abraham and his wife Sarah... God said, I will give you a son. And year after year after year after year went by and no son. And, and Sarah was getting restless. Abraham was getting restless. 25 years go by. They're much older. No son. God, where are you at? Why are you not working? Where, and then Sarah's like, take Hagar, the maidservant, have a child with her. Well, Abraham being the godly man that he was, he was like, okay. Another woman sounds good. Let's do it. No prayer. No time. Hey, I'm, God's not moving. His time's not showing. Well, let's get this. Let's, let's get taught God's time going here. And he gives birth to a son and named him Ishmael. And God's like, Abraham, that was not my intention. That is not what I wanted for you. Now you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. Oh, by the way, Abraham, it will affect generations to come. He birthed an Ishmael. And listen, and when you and I act and do and whatever in our time, be ready. You will birth an Ishmael. And when you birth an Ishmael, you got to live with that. And sometimes it is harder than hard. See, that's why you've got to operate in God's timings where you just Hit the pause button. God, is it time for us to do this? Is it time for me to leave this job? God, is it time for us to to move away? God, is it time for us to buy this? God, is it time for me to get married? God, we want your timing in this. And you just begin to pray, and you begin to let God lead and guide you in this so you're making good decisions. My view of Jesus you know, it's going to affect my time. It's going to affect when I do things. You know, I sit and, I sit and think about how often do you want God to show up on your timetable? I mean, do you ever? <laughs> I say these things because I do it, okay? Do you ever really pray, God, I want your timetable, and you pray that for about 30 seconds? And you're like, okay, God, you're not moving fast enough, and you're like, okay, um, God, you need to show up now. You see, that's what his brothers were doing. Jesus, um, you need to show up now. You, you, you need to just go down to Judea right now and just show up. Let people see you. And I started thinking about how often do we almost demand that God shows up now? reminds me of Psalm 102, 102, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist prays and he's, he's praying to God. And he says, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. That's pretty good so far. Do not hide your face from me when I call and I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me. I love that. That's all good. But here, when I call, answer me quickly. He's doing really good in that prayer. And then he's like, God, right now, you've got to answer this thing right now. Answer me quick. Does anybody other than me pray like that? I know you guys don't. You guys are godly. But how many times are we like that? God, get on my timetable. God, get into my time stream. God, get into my, this is when I want this. This is when I want to do this. And God, you've got to show up because, well, if you don't show up when I want, I may not get that job. God, if you don't show up when I want, I may not get that healing. God, if you don't show up when I want, I may not get married. So God, you better be showing up on my timetable. But when my view of Jesus is different, when my view of Jesus is you're God and, and and you you rule the universe. I'll let you decide when. I'll let you decide when we start a family. I'll let you decide when I get I, I get a job promotion. I'll let you decide when this will happen. You keep praying for it, you keep asking, but you always got to come back to that place. Can you settle and come to the comfortable place of going? Not when I want, not in my timing, but Lord, in your timing. And how many of you know that's hard when you're in the storm? When you're in the trial, you're in the suffering, that's hard. But it's the best to be able to pray your time is the best. And your view of Jesus will affect your time. Here's the third thing my view of Jesus affects what I say about him. It's going to affect what you say about him. Now look at verse 10. It says, After his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went, not publicly, but in private. The Jews, meaning the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering. Some of you may have a version that says there was grumbling about him. There was much grumbling or much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. And others said, no, he's leading people astray. Now I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to get to verse 13 in here in a second. So here you have, Jesus is showing up and he's, he's put on a disguise or something. I don't know how he's, he's, he's got a robe on, but people aren't recognizing him. And he, I, I would love to be able to, he's just like a fly on the wall. And he's walking around and he's hearing the people. And people, when it says they're muttering or grumbling, they're not talking, like, people aren't saying, hey, out loud. They're like, they're like coming up to someone going, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Here's what I think. They're like hushed tones under their breath, Okay. And Jesus is hearing these people, and they're like, oh, he's this guy, and he's like this. A lot of different views, huh? A lot of different views about who Jesus was. But look at verse 13. Here's the key. Yet for fear of the Jews, the religious leaders, no one spoke openly for, about him. No one just stood up and said, hey, here's who I think Jesus is. I I think Jesus is a great guy. I think he really is the Messiah. I really think he is God because have you seen what he's done lately? Have you seen him feed? Were you there when he fed the 5,000? Were you there when he raised the dead person? Were you there when he gave sight to the blind? Were you there when he healed that cripple after 38 years? I don't know about you, but man, I haven't seen you, Joe, Pharisee, do it. I think he's God. No, no one was doing it. Nobody talked openly about him. They were afraid. They were like, well, if I say something about Jesus, the Pharisees are going to kick me out of the synagogue because that's what they were doing. The Pharisees are going to get mad at me. and they're going, to, they're going to harass me. They're going to attack me. They're going to come against me. So you know what? I'll talk about Jesus, but I'm going to do it silently. I'm just going to do it like hush, hush tone. I'm going to keep it to myself. What I really think, listen, your view of Jesus will affect what you say about him. If your view of Jesus is like these people, well, I don't want anybody saying anything against me. So you know what? I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just going to keep my faith to myself. I'm not going to share my faith with people. because, Or if your view of Jesus is, you know what? He is the Savior of the world. And Jesus has saved me. And he's my Lord. So I know Jesus is my Savior. So if I, my view of Jesus is he is my Savior and he has saved me, then guess what I want to do? I want to share that with other people. When I'm at work, I'm going to talk to people. When I'm with my family, I'm going to try to share that. When I'm with my friends, I'm going to figure out how do I have a conversation. But I am going to share my faith with somebody. And here's the thing. If my view of Jesus is that, and I'm going to share my faith, guess what I'm not afraid of? Being attacked. Because the reality is this. Just bank on this, okay? You can say, Jim, Jim told me this will happen. When you share your faith, when you really be a, when you will say, I'm going to be a witness for Christ, there will be people who will love you. There will be people who are like, oh, yeah, I've, I, and they will dialogue with you. There will be people who will accept what you say. There will be people who will say, hey, tell me more about Jesus. That's awesome. But bank on this. There will be people who will oppose you right to your face. There will be people who will attack you. There will be people who will call you names. There will be people who will make fun of you. That will happen. But if your fear, but if your view of Jesus is minimal, then guess what you're going to be like these people, and you're not going to say anything. You're going to keep your mm, no. I'm at work, man. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to talk to Bob. I'm not going to talk to my brother. No, nope, no, nope, because I, I I know. I just don't want to. Get, I don't want to get into it. But if your if your view of Jesus is man, he's my savior. He saved me. I want. I want. I I want to save my coworkers. Know Christ. I know my brother is lost. I know my best friend does not know Jesus, so I'm going to talk to them. And if they attack me, so be it. They attack me. But listen, you never know the day, like the day I got to experience when I was a correctional officer, when I had someone come to me and go, I hear you are a Christian. Can you tell me how to get saved? The only way that happened is because I was talking to people. And I'm telling you, being called Father Shannon is not a lot of fun. And they were not calling me Father Shannon because out of respect, no, they were mocking me. They were mocking my faith. They were mocking me as a believer in Jesus. So every time, hey, Father Jim, how you doing? I'm like, ugh. But the moment I was able to lead someone to Jesus Christ in that place, game changer. You never know. I'm telling you, you'll take the abuse of many people to lead one person to Jesus Christ, because that's a game changer. Your view of Jesus will affect what you say about him. Here's the fourth thing. Your view of Jesus will affect what I do. This point goes hand in hand, actually with point number two. Jesus' timing, Jesus' will. God's timing, God's will. And that's where Jesus here in verse 14, he says, it says about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. And the Jews marveled saying, how is it this man has learning when he never studied? Meaning they knew Jesus didn't go to any kind of university back then. And they're like, how did this guy get so, you know, he he knows the, the, the Old Testament. He knows the law, like the back of his hand. How did he get this? And then in verse 16, Jesus answered them. He says, my teaching is not mine, But his who sent me, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. All right, there is a thread working all the way through this. There is a progression that's happening. Notice and Jesus says, those who are willing to do the will of God... Let me ask you, because the will of God here is the starting point. Let me ask you, somebody yell out if you think you know what this is. It's kind of a trick question, but it's kind of not, okay? What do you think the ultimate will of God is for people? The ultimate will of God. What? Salvation. salvation. That's the number one ultimate will. Everything else falls under that, because if, if salvation is not like at the top of it, is there anything else matter? So the ultimate will of God is To save all people, to get people saved, to get them into heaven, okay? Now, the rest of this verse flows like this. So Jesus says, when you know the will of God, when you're doing the will of God, you will know if my teaching is right. Because here's what happens. Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that an unbeliever or the natural man doesn't receive spiritual things because they don't get it. They're like, I don't understand that. He, it's folly to them, and, and, and it's not spiritually discerned. An unbeliever cannot accept the things of God's word. It doesn't make sense. But here's what happens. When you come to the place where you place yourself under the will of God in salvation, you, come to, you get it like, okay, I need Jesus as my Savior. You accept Christ as your Savior. Your heart is now enlightened. Your heart is now, you become spiritually alive. And here's what happens. When your heart is enlightened, you start to hear the truths of God's word. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Where you can remember a time where I didn't get that, and then all of a sudden, you're like, like the bell goes off, ding! You're like, how did I not see that before? Spiritual enlightenment. You come to know Christ. The will of God is for you to be saved. You get saved. Your heart is now open to the word of God. You hear the word of God. As Jesus said, you'll hear the teaching, and you will understand it. You'll be like, ah, that's truth. And so now all of a sudden, you're born again, you're living for Christ, the word of God, you hear it, you read it, you get it. It's, it you understand it. It's starting to work in your heart. And then Jesus says, when that starts to happen, it's starting to change you. It's starting to work inside of you. Now, all of a sudden, the will of God changes. It goes from the will of God to salvation to the will of God in my life. Because the Bible, the word of God, becomes the will of God. Everything in God's word is his will. It's the revealed, written will of God. So when you read the Bible, when you read things in the Bible, you start to see God say, hey, act this way. Don't act this way. Behave like this. Don't behave like that. Do these kind of things. Don't do these kind of things. And you start to realize this is the will of God. So what you start to do, you go, okay, the will of God isn't just me getting saved, but the will of God is now acting it out in my life every day. Perfectly? No progressively? Absolutely. So every day I am progressively trying to work the will of God out in my life. And the word of God, the will of God is the word of God. And I understand the word of God when I respond to the will of God through salvation. Now, here's where the progression continues. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. I get saved. My heart is enlightened. I start to understand the word of God. I put the word of God in practice. And that becomes the will of God acting, working in my life. And as I now every day progressively, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do the will of God. Guess what's that? Guess what that's bringing to God? Glory. The ultimate glory for you and me is to do the word of God, fulfill the will of God in my life, and that brings him glory. But when I choose to, and he says those who, you know, you speak on your own thing and you bring glory to yourself, that's where I'm like, I know the will of God, but I don't want to do it. I know what God wants, but I don't want to do it. That's bringing glory to myself because it's all about self. But when I come to the place where I'm like, I know what God wants for me. I want to do what God wants. I want to do his will. I want to do the will of God. That is what's going to bring glory to God. So the more you and I fulfill the, the will of God, the more I understand his will and the more glory will come to him. And then lastly, the fifth thing that affects that the view of of Jesus affects is this. My view of Jesus affects how I see people. My view of Jesus is going to affect how I see people. So, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. That one work was him healing that paralytic after 38 years on the, on the Sabbath. He says, I did that one work and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you the circumcision, that it's not even from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? Now I'm going to stop right there. Let's get an idea of what Jesus is saying here. He is arguing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to kill him, but he's like, you guys want to kill me for doing one good act on the Sabbath. He's like, you will circumcise a child on the Sabbath to not break the Sabbath or not break the law of God, but I heal a man that has been paralyzed for life. His whole life, I I did something extremely good and you want to kill me over that. He's like, he's like, really? How can you be so, so hypocritical? He's like, you're breaking the Sabbath. And you're saying, I broke the Sabbath. But you'll do something on the Sabbath. And he's just really trying to just explain to these people that you have no idea what you're talking about. They're making wrong judgments. Because look what he says in the final verse there. In verse 24. He says, do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. See, here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees looked at themselves with self-righteously, and they looked at everybody else's sinners, and they compared themselves. They're like, you are a sinner. Look at me. I fulfill the law. I do all these things. I am righteous. And Jesus is like, wow, you guys judge people so, so horribly. He's like, make right judgments. And here's the right judgment he's trying to get them to understand. He wanted the Pharisees to look at themselves in the mirror and go, I'm as sinful as the guy next to me. I am no better than him or her. If you were to take a person that is four foot six and someone who is seven foot two you're going to see that disparity, aren't you? But if you take both of those people and stick them by the, large, the world's tallest building in Dubai, and you were to step back, would you still be looking at the seven-foot person going, wow, he's really tall? Or would that building just be like overshadowing everything? Because you'd be like, that building is really tall. The building in comparison to the people, Nothing. You see, Jesus, when he says make right judgments, he's like, you need, to, you need to look at yourself and look at everybody else's sin, not this way, this way. You need to make the comparison, your sin to the righteousness of God. You need to look at the other person's sin to the righteousness of God. And here's the thing, the ground at the cross, level, perfectly level. Meaning this, every person at the cross is a sinner. And Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to understand that you know what, you are a sinner. You are a sinner just as this guy over here. You are a sinner just as this, this adulteress is. You're a sinner just as much as the prostitute. You're a sinner just as much as the tax collector. You are a sinner just like everybody else. But here's what we do. Don't we look at ourselves and go, again, Maybe you don't do this because you guys are good. I know I'll do this at times. Whew. I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm pretty good. I mean, they're a mess. Not me. But compared, but at the cross, they're a mess. And who else? I'm a mess. They're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But don't, let me ask you. Again, remember when I said our view of people affects how we we look at people. If you do, you ever look at people and compare them and go, "This person really needs Jesus, but this one probably doesn't because of the way they look." Take a person who's tattooed and piercings and spiky hair, red hair, bringing green, green hair, whatever. Man, they just you look at him, you're like, oh, "I bet they need Jesus really bad." But then you look at someone who's Fairly cleaned up, wearing nice clothes, prim and proper. They talk well, and you look at them and go, ah, they, they're probably okay. Do you ever do that? Again, I've done this. There was a, a girl in our church who graduated like 2005 or something like that, and I did her class as baccalaureate. After baccalaureate, there was a girl in her class who worked out at the restaurant in Woodhall. And she, the girl that worked out of the restaurant was, I mean, fun. She just always had a huge smile on her face. She just, just exu- she just exuded just like friendliness. And she was just, wow, you know, you're just like, wow, you're just really fun to be around. And, and I remember I did baccalaureate. And after baccalaureate, I, said, I asked the girl that attended our church, I said, hey, where was this girl at? I, I noticed she wasn't at baccalaureate. And this blew me away. She goes, Oh, she would never come to Baccalaureate. I'm like, why is that? She goes, She's an atheist. I'm like, no. I'm like, how can she be that nice and that friendly and that outgoing and be an atheist? That's what I was thinking. I I mean, I I I in my mind, I'm like, well, she's nice, she's kind, she's gotta be, no, atheist. Bad judgment. As Christians, we cannot make judgments on appearance. Never. Never judge a book by its cover because you don't know who is really a believer and who is not. The person you think, everybody in Jesus' time thought the the Pharisees, they were shoe-ins. They're going to heaven. In fact, God will probably let them sit next to him. But they were the ones never getting to heaven. But it was the prostitute. It was the sinner in the synagogue going, oh, God, save me, a sinner who was going to be with God. And we have got to continuously see people right. View them in the right way to go, you know what? I'm not going to assume anybody's saved because everybody needs Jesus. Whether they don't look the part or even if they do look the part. Everybody needs Jesus. And that's why, and I've said this so many times, that's why it's always my prayer that we as a church, no matter who comes through that door, I don't care what they look like, I don't care with how they dress, that they can come into this church and not be judged. But be able to come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And have people who will make right judgments and go, you know what? I'm no better than you. Without Jesus, I'm, I'm just as messed up as, as a soup sandwich as you are. Without Jesus, I'm going to hell just as much as anybody else. Without Jesus, I have no hope. Without Jesus, I have no life. Without Jesus, I'm not getting eternity. So you know what? Man, just coming to this church and we're all a bunch of messed up soup sandwiches trying to figure it out. And we're trying to do our best through Jesus Christ and his word. And man, some days we're doing it great. Some days we're doing it bad. Some days we're exalted. Some days we're failing. But man, we just want you to come in and be able to feel loved, not judged. Because the moment we start pointing fingers, remember that they were saying, if you got one point pointing finger going out, you've got four going back. And we always got to remember that. You and I, without Christ, are no better than anybody else. It is only Jesus Christ why you're saved. It is only by Jesus Christ that you are getting to heaven. It is only by Jesus Christ that you can say, wow, I'm okay. Because without him, you're not okay. And we got to remember that there's going to be people, there are going to be people you work with there are going to be people that you, you, you meet at, at a basketball game, you're at your kids' whatever, and there are going to be people that come into our lives that by all standards, oh, man, they, I don't know. They look like they need Jesus, but I don't know if I want to talk to them or not. Man, we need to remember there was somebody who came to you, shared the faith with you, and maybe they looked at you and went, oh, man. They look like a sad story. Maybe I don't want to talk to them. Make right judgments. That right judgment, again, is simply this. At the foot of the cross, it is level ground. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in need of a Savior. Amen? Let's all stand and close.